this is the book report. That when people sure I've heard you sing. It's tone deaf. <laughs> it's bad. Remember when I tried to learn how to play guitar? <laughs> I do remember that. I do. The guitar was great. The singing that accompanied it was enough to make the guitar strings break of their own accord. I just remember you and Aaron every now and then coming into the room and be like, Oh my gosh, you were on tune then. I'm like, I hate you guys. It's because we were trying to give you positive reinforcement to teach you what on tune voice sounded like <laughs> so that you would eventually learn to sing correctly. We both believed that we could teach you to sing. But I, we were wrong. Yeah. We were very, very wrong. I still didn't understand any difference from the times I was off or on tune. Yeah, we realized that after about three months. <laughs> but it was a roller coaster for the first two. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing on that. This week has been just a weird, weirdly miserable week. My job is often periods of not a lot and then periods of a whole lot. And this past week, my kind of like an actual period. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have a You're welcome. You have a skill at saying things that I'm so not prepared for that I completely lose train of thought. So today, um, my students were eating lunch, and I had lunch duty, which means I had to watch them eat lunch, which is just really captivating. But there was a table of students, and they called me over, and I thought they were going to ask to go get a drink or something. But instead, they said, hey, Steven, or Mr. Reese, um, can you make this student laugh? We've been trying for 10 minutes, and no one can make her laugh. And so I just start talking and I'm like, oh, well, I don't know why you can't make her laugh. I mean, all you have to do is just say something funny. Now, I wouldn't ever do that, but poop. And then I just carried on. And then the student just bust out laughing because it was completely unexpected. Yeah, it, it was great. It's just like insane non sequiturs that just throw off your normal thought process. Right. The, the best way to make someone laugh is to just disrupt their expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like um, I'm not a actual fan of this comedian, but I have listened to him before out of curiosity and I laughed, but it, it was like, I feel bad laughing. Um, and the comedian's name is Anthony Jesselwick and he does like really, really off color comedy. Is he the guy um, who plays the, the guitar one that I, with his? No, 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 no. This guy, um, in the short time period I listened, he made a joke about the Holocaust 9-11 and abortion. Oh, okay. So just the big three there. Right, exactly. And you don't want to laugh, but the way he does it is just so unexpected. You're not expecting it, and it disrupts your expectations, and then you laugh, and you realize you are a bad person. Well, I think we've known that about me for a while. You keep Not everything's about you, Joel. <laughs> not everything is about you. We've discussed the fact that we are both narcissists, so yes, everything is about us. I'm not a narcissist, and if I were, I'd be a bigger narcissist than you. <laughs> just shut up, all right. <laughs> but yeah, no, this week has just been crazy. Nothing real new in my life. How about you? Mm, let me think. No, nothing interesting. Pretty boring week. Hmm. I went to work, you know, a couple times. Mm, just a few? Yeah. We did a trivia night um, for my school oh. last night, so I was at work until like 8.30, but I got free pizza out of it. Well, that's something. And I got to listen to a bunch of middle schoolers try to beat their parents at trivia. Fun fact, they didn't. Yeah, that sounds um, unpleasant. 
Mm, it was fun. Me and my uh, co-teachers just talked about how annoying it is that South Carolina does not currently have a teacher's union. Hmm. So You should form one. Mm, technically, there are two in the state, but neither one has any power. Um, um, South Carolina is a right-to-work state. Right. Um, Oklahoma's a right-to-work state. And then a powerful teacher's union. I mean, your teacher's union isn't that powerful. Think about your wages there. Well, we did just um, – You want to talk about, you talk about to a powerful a teacher's union. You should, go to, you should go to Illinois if you want a powerful teacher's union. True. Right-to-work so. states don't have a lot of power for their workers ironically enough except for that was the actual goal so i don't think that counts as irony oh the, the phrase is completely misleading well, a lot of most legislation is intentionally misleadingly named okay we may you may have heard a little musical interlude there because we had some audio difficulties that joel is very frustrated by i'm joel by the way and this is the book report and i'm steven and that's why uh, you just listened to 20 seconds of Safety Dance. <laughs> I don't think bum, we're going to play bum, Safety bum, Dance bum, because bum, of copyright bum, things. Bum, 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 bum. We will play something non-copyrighted and close to Safety Dance E that I can find in a week. <laughs> so that's an interesting question. Do um, Does copyright on music run out faster than copyright on books? Um, why are... Because I know there was that whole thing with, um, Happy Birthday, that song. They just finally ran out on oh, their, right. um, trademark. Yeah. And I don't know how long that was lasted. That's a good question. Or how long that lasted for. Uh... Anyways. Yeah. Well, hey, um, you have tuned in to a very special episode of The Book Report. We are going to do special episodes every 15 episode every 25th episode we're gonna throw them in there on the fives um yeah this is the one where joel comes out that that happened oh, wait. on a very already, different episode that. and it wasn't on the fives was it dang it ah uh, i don't know if it was on five. i don't know what episode that was either um wow you didn't even mark it on your calendar i feel like that was an important it was on national you. coming out day Sure, someone's marked that on my calendar. Day that. I don't know what day that was. <laughs> Surprisingly, I. that's not on my calendar. <laughs> it was a couple months ago, or just last month. I don't. I honestly have no it was, idea. It definitely wasn't a couple months ago. That's but, true. We've only been doing well, this for like three to. months. I don't know. Life goes faster the older I get. That's very true. And we are now much older than we were when we started this. A whole three months. You don't know how old I age, how fast I <laughs> don't, age. You don't know how old I age is definitely the name, the title okay. of this episode. <laughs> Crap. I've gotten to decide every other name for the episode. I feel slighted and cheated. I'm going to spend the rest of the episode waiting for you to say something stupid so I can change the name. <laughs> All right. Um, you're probably not going to have to wait that long. I say a lot of stupid things, but no, uh, this was, uh, this was the first special episode that was your suggestion. You wanted to do one that was all on the Dresden files. Heck yeah, I did. Yeah. And who was the first person to recommend the Dresden files to you? Okay. It was you Mm -hmm. back in college. I read the first book of the Dresden files. I did not like it even a little bit. So I put it down and I didn't touch the Dresden files again until this year then i read every single other book in the series in like three months 
mm-hmm. and I started. I think I think I started with book like eight or nine. Yeah, you read them way out of order. I really did, but I think that is actually the reason I was able to make it through it. Um, because I started with book whatever I did. I read through those. I was really excited to read the rest of them. And then I went and uh, got on a Reddit thread, figured out where I was supposed to start. And even Jim Butcher, the author of the books, says don't pick up any of my books until book three because the first two are garbage. No, that's fair. Like I um, I went back and tried to make myself a cheat sheet to see what every book was about so that we could do this episode. And right. uh, I then color-coded it to see who the main bad guys were. And the first two books are just blank because there, there yeah. is no, there's nothing. Nothing suit like – They're just there to kind of catch your attention. Yeah. And it sets the stage for some set, stuff. The, but. It's, but yeah, it's essentially when you're looking um, – when you're in a high school English class and you're looking at that um, plot line, whatever that's called – where it's flat and then it goes into your rising action, your climax, your falling action, your resolution. The first two books are just the – what's the flat part of that called? Exegesis. No, that's too complicated for 11th <laughs> But that's graders. the word. <laughs> it's the um, – I don't think that's what it is though. Yeah, it's the establishing the setting. That's referred to as the exegesis. Exposition. It's the exposition. Okay, then what's the word exegesis? Not exegesis. I'm looking it up. It's the exposition. It goes exposition, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution. Oh, you're right. Exegesis is the critical explanation after the fact, the interpretation of it. Right, which is what high schoolers have to do when they read Lord of the Flies. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, um, I wanted to preemptively say there will be spoilers in this episode. We will try. As always, this is a recommendation to read things, so we're going to – um, I feel like we can probably do like piecemeal spoilers. So we'll get to a point. If you've read a few of the books, we'll get to a point where we say, "Hey, from now on, else from now on, we're gonna be free with spoilers for the first three books, or from now on, we're gonna be free with spoilers for the first, you know, nine books." There are 15 books currently in the series, and like three more to come. So uh, if you're not, a, if you're okay with spoilers, and we're try not gonna ruin anything big. Um, Tune in, but otherwise tune out when we tell you to. I think that was clear as mud. I don't know what Joel is saying, <laughs> but this entire episode is going to be full of spoilers for the Dresden Files. So unless you've read them, you might want to tune out. Okay, well then... Or just enjoy us explaining one of the greatest urban fantasy series that exists currently. And is ongoing. How about we do... Yeah, it hasn't finished yet. How about we do a little bit of a um, spoiler-free recommendation before we dive into specific things all right you do yours and i'll do mine oh you show them yours and i'll show them mine all right again this is an audio format piece of entertainment there is no visual component (laughs) i never said there was visual (laughs) you said show you can show through that's literally what reading is you're showing through like mental depictions of Whatever. Okay. <laughs> hey, do your thing. Just say what you think the Dresden Files okay, is. Okay, so the reason I think people should read the Dresden Files is it is um, my whole thing about not liking deep mythology that you have to understand for the whole series is probably a big portion of – like because of this series. There is – from the first book, even if it's not very good, even if the author doesn't think it's very good, from the first book you can tell – there is a very well-crafted, very in-depth world 
that has been built and that there are very clear rules and that the author isn't going to break them. And you can tell that from like the first two chapters of the first book. And over the course of 15, you slowly figure these out organically. You don't ever, there's never a moment where somebody sits down with a dictionary or in a classroom like other urban fantasies do most of the time. They use that format because it's easy and explain the rules of the world to you. No, you're firmly into it as it goes on and it's not interested in babying you. It just tells you stories that are happening in the world. Now, when it's needed, there's expositional information thrown out and there's some good mentor characters that do this for you, but it's never, you're never spoon fed anything. You have to figure out the world as you go on. And, uh, so that's one of the reasons I have a nerdy love for it, but the reason I like the stories is because it's mystery stories. It's dime store mystery fiction, every book, that it's all whodunit mysteries or um, noir style, uh, like what's going to happen, a robbery. Like it, It's very detective, hard-boiled detective novels, but in this magic urban fantasy universe. And so it's just a whole lot of fun the whole time. That's my short and sweet okay. why you should read the books. So um, mine, um, to kind of help you out, since I, th I think Joel's might have been a little vague, <laughs> maybe. Um, essentially think back to those Dick Tracy comic strips where you've got the uh, – I saw a dame walking into the office, and she was a five-foot-four and nothing but sex appeal and heels. How does the word noir not, not cover that? And people are stupid. Okay, fair. So that's essentially the setup for the novels. It's a dime store detective novel, but we are set in modern day Chicago, and it involves wizards, witches, ghouls, ghosts, goblins, and all sorts of things that go bump in the night. The fae, and the so you got fallen angels, right? You got vampire. I, that's bump in the night. Come on, man. Okay. So you've got the main character, Harry Dresden, and he is a wizard who almost exclusively uses his powers or knowledge or whatever you want to call it in order to solve supernatural mysteries. The first book and starts works out with this explaining that he's the only wizard in, listed in the Chicago phone book. Yeah, and the first book does a really good job of using that motif the second book does a good job the further on you get in the books you kind of lose the fact that he's a supernatural detective and he just kind of starts mm -hmm. fighting supernatural bad guys but it the first couple of books are really good at setting the stage for the idea that this is a detective he's broke he does supernatural investigations and the reason why these books are just really good is because what joel was saying the stage is set um the further you get into these books, the better the world is. It yes. builds this world up and creates something that is tangible and feels like there is thousands of years of backstory, even though you're only four books into the series. And it just addresses this world that not only involves the physical world, but also the ethereal world and the spirit world and all of these different worlds that interact with each other on a continual basis. And you have these recurring characters who are all major players, even though when they're first introduced, you think, oh, this is going to be mm -hmm. the bad guy for this novel, and then they'll be done. But they come back three, four, five books in a row, 
um, or not like necessarily as later. a bad guy. Yeah, show yeah, back and up. it's not always as a bad guy. It's just as someone who is interacting with this world that Jim Butcher has created. And so it's a really interesting series to read because you get to see people who you think, oh, this is the bad guy, but they aren't necessarily a bad guy. They just have their own specific motivation yeah, that drives the story that might be um, – it might not be a good motivation – but it is a motivation that drives a story, and there are multiple characters that I don't. I don't know. I feel like I'm losing they're, my They're train fully thought, realized characters. There's not a single person yeah. that shows up in the book that isn't a 100% has their character arc and is fully realized. There are no one-offs. Right. Every every character has capacity for good, even if they are evil. Mm-hmm. A little bit like Game of Thrones in that style, that. where you never super know where people are going to land on the morality fence, but. Um, for sure. You know their like motivation. Peter Baelish is a good example, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. The uh, little finger. Have Stephen was talking about how everything is like interconnected over the course of several books. When I was trying to nail down my cheat sheet, I kept realizing that events that were set up um, four books ahead, like landed like five books later. Like it was like there's uh, trying to set it up based on big moments is impossible because the big moments their story may only happen in three books, but those three books are separated by four other books. So it's very difficult to keep a timeline in your head. And somehow the author has done this over the course of 15 books. And it's just like, that's amazing. And I know when you and I were discussing these books over text, um, spoiler alert for anyone listening, um, we were talking about, is this going to be a major, major spoiler? Well, we were talking about the vampire story. Okay, right. And in one of the early-ish books, you start talking about the Red Court vampires. Um, and the first time Dresden is introduced to these these vampires, these villains, it is when he's introduced to them via Bianca and the uh, Red Court vampire brothels. Isn't Bianca a Black Court vampire? No, Bianca's a Red Court. Um, the Black Court doesn't... What's figured what's the that name prominently, of the, yeah. but she's the first one that no, the the black court exists that, but the red court is the one that he's constantly fighting. Right, right. Well, not really. So he, I have that mapped out right now, eh, like in front of me. Eh, the the third book, eh, Grave Peril. This is when the um, the vampires take center stage by the end of the book, and the plot for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine books. The background plot starts in book three, and it doesn't get resolved for nine books. Yeah, and all of that deals with the Red exactly. Court. Yeah, but there, but ha- and you were just saying that the Red Court isn't. But they're only the, the Red Court is only the main bad guys in four of those books. Every other book, it's the White 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 Court or um, somebody else, not even vampires. Yeah, but I don't consider the White Court necessarily the bad guys because. You know, like, again, spoiler, Dresden's brother is a white court vampire, and he uses the white court as allies way more often than they end up being. Later on. Especially once he, especially once he um, teams up with the matriarch mm -hmm. of the the white court. But he doesn't find out Thomas is is his brother until book. Let me see. I have that written down. Um, He doesn't find out Thomas is his brother until book six. Up until then, the white court is just as evil, you think. Well, yes and no. I still, I still would say that the Red Court 
vampires are the major yeah, antagonists. They're the major antagonists until book in 12. the story arc. Yeah, right. And that was my oh, point. Okay. So, like, I'm not even I'm not even bringing up the Black Court because they exist in a very very small fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Red Court is kind of the big deal. And so that was my point. I was trying to bring up. You have him introduced to them through Bianca and the brothels, and um. With that whole storyline, you've just got this really well-crafted background narrative of um, a war between the vampires and the wizards. And it doesn't always figure as the main storyline of the novels going forward. Right. It's never... It's always it's always there, but it isn't always the main story arc. Yeah. And then you get into... Um, Oh, what's what's the book where they go to South America and deal with it all finally? That book is called Changes, and it's book twelve. Yeah, yeah, book twelve with changes. Don't um, spoil that one it's, yet. It's kind Let's of hold off on that. I'm not going to spoil it, but it, but it's kind of a weird book because you haven't necessarily dealt with the Red Court vampires as the main antagonists for a while. Yeah, there's um it, it, at least since he was fighting Duke Ortega. Um, yeah. There's um and then suddenly it is the main driver of the entire story and you're just like oh yeah this, this is has still been happening. the background noise yeah this has been the background noise for the past like five six books well it's interesting and I think the the the, the plot arc kind of goes the war begins because a direct result of some of Harry's actions in book three right. and then it's ignored in the next book it's barely talked about. And then the next book, it's referred to again, and then two books in a row, it's kind of a main focus. Book six and book seven, even if the the villain he's dealing with are not directly Red Court vampires, they're responsible for everything that happens in book six and seven. And then for three books or four books in a row, it's barely mentioned. And then suddenly 12, it's the only focus. And it's just like, it's still there. You still are seeing the ramifications of it, but... uh, it's not the main focus at all. It's like it's one of the things that's beautiful about the book that kind of lends to the fact that there's a much bigger world going on is that, yeah, sure, a war is happening. But we're telling you these detective stories that are happening in Chicago. <laughs> it's not it's not the focus. And that's crazy to, yeah. to start a vampire and, war and then not make that the focus of every novel you're writing is some crazy self-control. Well, I think it's one of the the ways you can tell that Jim Butcher got a book deal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's really nice to see him recognize the fact that he was, you know, given the chance to write however many books and he said, "You know what? I'm not going to fully flush out this or fully flush out this vampire story arc. I'm going to deal with some other issues in this world, do some really solid world building." And then I'm going to come back to the vampire story arc because in all reality, what he did is, is almost, I hesitate to say genius level, but it's, it's close because it would be like if um, Tolkien, for example, to take kind of the godfather of fantasy literature, mm-hmm. it would be like if Tolkien wrote um, the first book in the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the rings. And then, he decided to take a break from the entire storyline of the fellowship going to destroy the ring and decided to do three or four different books that only focused on, um, I don't know, like 
Gondor fighting the orcs. Yeah, just a side story. And then in book six, he brought it back to Frodo and then said, okay, now we're going to actually move forward our ring-destroying storyline. And the fact that you can keep a storyline moving even when you aren't necessarily addressing it is just testament yes. to the fact yes. that Jim Butcher knows what he's and doing. The, and that alone is incredibly impressive. But the fact that in all these intervening books, he's introducing you characters and plot lines and mm-hmm. story elements and other bad guys, and none of those plot lines get dropped. They all keep going, keep moving. Some of them get resolved. Oh, More yeah. of them start. Like, he never drops a thread. And it's like, how? <laughs> how do you even do that? Like, there's a... Well, the, when... Yeah, when I when I first read the series and I started again with book eight or whatever it was, um, they have the fully fleshed out character of Toot Toot, which mm-hmm. is um, what's what type of being is he? Is he he's a fairy? A fae. Yeah, he's a he's what you he's would a, think of fae, when you yeah. think of a fairy, like a pixie, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he's like a tiny little pixie that flits around in the air. But anyways, you have this fully fleshed out character of Toot Toot, and then if you go back and read the first book. Toot Toot shows up in what you would think would be an incredibly minor role. Mm-hmm. And if if I were the author, I would use Toot Toot as a placeholder character just to move the story yeah. along. But Jim Butcher pulls that character out. He uses him. And he evolves he even over drops, time. Yeah, he evolves him over time and uses him in almost every story going forward, even though he feels like a minor character when you first yeah, meet for, him. And that's For specific incredible. reference, Toot Toot in the first book is kind of like a criminal informant. He's a member of the Fae mm-hmm. that um, – Yeah, he's a snitch. Yeah, that Dresden uses snitch. to get information. And then oh, like right. way later on in the story, he slowly evolves into this loyal ally, leader of like a pixie army um, – and one of like one of uh, Harry Dresden's like most reliable companions, even if he's not like super powerful, powerful or anything, he's very influential and very important at different times. And it's just what? Yeah, it's one of those characters where you were able to use the fact that they're well connected. Mm-hmm. So Toot Toot himself is not powerful, but he is kind of the leader of two hundred and however many yeah. people exactly like him who can. And he changes the balance of, of battles in very key moments. It's just it's crazy. Let's um, I'm going to talk about yeah. one more example of this way of leveling st- or, or layering stories together before we get into yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, then let's get into like some specific favorite elements. Yeah. Okay. So one of the other versions of this um, like lengthy plot thread thing it starts in book five, and you've already had these villains kind of introduced. But um, there are uh, there are fallen angel characters that uh, exist, kind of like demons exist in the Conjuring universe. You touch an object, you can get possessed by them. In book five, and they're called they're called denarians. denarians. Yeah, and they're they're they travel or they're hosts in the the um, thirty pieces of silver that were given to Judas, and biblically, and um, you get possessed by them by touching one of the coins. Dresden touches one in book five. It's oh, such a good storyline. Yes, he touches one at the very end of book five, and you assume it's going to be a very big deal. Book six opens. Can I just interject real yeah. quick? Dresden touches the coin in order to save a very, very young child yes. from touching yeah. it. 
which just speaks to his character. Exactly. It's incredible. And it's a great scene. And that scene keeps like coming back up as a as both evidence of his um naivete and his evidence of his sacrifice and it's you know which side's correct it's just it's a really interesting amazing like little tiny plot arc but no he touches this coin in book five and book six he comes up with a way to deal with it and it's kind of dealt with you think it's over and then book seven another seemingly completely irrelevant plot thread about one of his like mentor living encyclopedia ghost friends gets dropped um and then it takes one, two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven books later. Yeah, seven books later, um, it is revealed to you that these two completely separate, slowly evolving plot threads like come together, and uh, he has a he's semi possessed by this coin this whole time. Um, the possession, he gets rid of it by like convincing the fragment of that demon to sacrifice itself. All this is very spoilery. And then five books later, he starts getting headaches. And then two books after that, the headaches are going to kill him unless he releases it. And he releases it, and it creates a new version of this crazy um, encyclopedia living spirit thing. And it's yeah, it's a combination of himself and the yeah, demon that was living inside. But it's these two seemingly completely but separate. But it's not a it's not bad demon. Yeah, though. it's not a bad demon. I feel like I should. Well, it's not. It. It's because of him. He changes the demon's mind and it sacrifices itself. And right. there's all this. I mean, read right. the books; they're Super amazing. Important. But the fact that he picks up two completely independent th- plot threads from two books apart, weaves them together into a perfectly coherent. Like what I just said sounds like absolute nonsense. But he weaves them together mm-hmm. in a perfectly coherent, like beautiful moment that doesn't get a payoff from – again, this starts in book five and it doesn't get a payoff until book 15, the latest book out. And we still don't super see the results of that because it happens at the end of that book. And you're just like, you like dropped this thing 10 books ago and we're just now getting the beginnings of a payoff from it. That is – insane amounts of patience and crazy crazy well done world building and i just i love that oh for sure and i think that one of the most interesting things about that whole story arc is when you are watching dresden wrestling with this this seductive other influence that is literally inside his head, always trying to convince him to take the wrong path. Mm -hmm. And instead of him taking the wrong path, he's able to show his character and eventually convince the demon. I don't have to change. You have to change, but you can, if you want to. Yeah. And that moment is just, it's, it's insane. And it's so much fun to watch that whole story arc develop because I remember when I was reading that story arc, you're sitting there and you're like, oh man, if Dresden just gave into this, this demon, mm-hmm. he would be super cool. He would be so powerful. And there are several moments like that throughout the entire novel. And it's, it's not just that Dresden is tempted by the demon. He is tempted by multiple members of the Fae, yeah. all those, the summer and winter court trying to get him to essentially sell his soul. Um, and not sell his soul for necessarily spoiler? nefarious like purposes. Like it's, Hey, right. 
I will give you all this power if you serve me, but you know, you don't have to be evil. Like I'm just going to give you all this power. You just have to give up a little bit of autonomy. And he manages exactly. to stand against that every time. Yeah, well, almost every time. Well, right? yes, every time. Because okay, what the one of the big spoilers for way later on is he finally lets um Wait, wait, wait. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. spoiler. Uh, we're talking like yeah. the last two books that are currently out, spoiler. Uh, he he gives up, and I'm not even going to spoil it all the way because it's it's crazy. He It's such a yeah. good, good storyline. Yeah. He allows himself to become a member of one of the Fae, like a human member of one of the Fae, by taking on the mantle of this power. Um, yeah, he becomes one of the knights. Yes. Whether that is summer or winter, you well, will have to yeah. read. Yourself. And he does this um, with the knowledge that every other person who's taken this on, which you've met several of them by this point, have either gone insane and died for stupid purposes or gone straight up evil and become like weird serial killers, like every single one of them. And he does this because right. he is – it's told to him that he doesn't actually have to change. It's it's totally up to you. You can take this power and not have to change. And so he rests on the faith that he can stand against all this influence. And it's, I mean, at this point in the series, you're like, yeah, of course you can. We've seen you do it time and time again, because it's almost uh, a cliche by the middle of the series that the bad guys are just offering him more power. And right. Dresden will tell you every single book that he's not the most powerful wizard. He's very much not the most powerful wizard. He barely gets by, but he has a moral center that is unshakable and he will, he will. Can I disagree with you for one minute? Okay. So my reading of the entire book series is a little bit different from my understanding. Dresden is incredibly powerful. He's just not that experienced. And so he's kind of like a child with a shotgun. Yeah. I mean, like, a little he bit. He can that, do a lot of damage. He just doesn't know necessarily how to use it. Well, that goes into my, my absolute favorite book in the series is book seven deadbeat. Um, mm, mm-hmm. and it's just because I mean, it, it introduces kind of one of my favorite, like minor characters, but it's also because, um, it, uh, it establishes why Dresden is who he is. There's a point, sure. um, uh, there's a point near the end of the book. Wait a second. Am I getting these mixed up again? I, I swear, every time I just look at the titles, I get them all insanely mixed up. Um, no, it's okay. This is one. This is one that deals almost exclusively with the black court. Yeah, uh, yeah. But Deadbeat isn't the one I'm thinking of. It doesn't have and the, the speech. The word of Kimmler, like that book where they're yeah, trying yeah, yeah, to yeah. summon all yeah. the necromancers. Deadbeat is an amazing yeah. book, but it's not the one I was thinking of. It is. It is the. <laughs> it is the example. That is is referenced in my the favorite book. There's a speech in book number nine, White Knight, that someone gives to him. Oh, that's yeah. a good book. When everyone – like White Knight is all about him trying to prove himself innocent of a, a serial killer going around killing other magic users. Um, and he's worried early on in the book that like why is everyone so afraid of me? Like what are you talking about? What, what have I ever done that has made people actually think I could do this? And somebody sets him down and lays out the events of the previous eight books, or at least seven, because it kind of ends on the seventh book, and just says, look at all these places. You may have just accidentally been in the right place at the right time. You may have just lucked out in every single one of these situations. But if you take them all collectively, you are terrifying. You are 
like insane. Like even if you're not very powerful, you from the outside, you look like the scariest mother in the world. And he's like, oh, that's kind of a good point. And that's it's the first time it's laid out to him that way because he has such an inferiority complex most of the time. Every time he's in a fight, he's like, I'm not as good as name one of the other wizards that's there, but I have a trick up my sleeve that I can do this or I can outthink them. And at this point in the story, it's about halfway through of all the books we have out now. And the guy sets him down. He's like, are you insane? Look at all you've done. And it was just a, it's my favorite moment in possibly any series that I'm currently reading. It's just so, yeah, it recontextualizes all these moments that you've only gotten from Dresden's point of view. When, if you look at it from an outside perspective, you are the most powerful wizard that's done these things. You are scary. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think it's always interesting to look at some of the earlier books where Dresden is trying to figure out, you know, the, the not theme of his novels, but the, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but basically you have the novels where he's dealing with some, some incredibly adult themes, mm-hmm. um, especially the one where the main theme is that he's trying to essentially protect a porn <laughs> producer, which is bizarre. But then you have other novels where he's trying to um, just, I don't know, be be what you would consider a morally upright and upstanding citizen of society. That turns out to be kind of um, And so, there, yeah, and there's this dichotomy where you've got this main character who is dealing with the completely vanilla versions of society and also dealing with these completely taboo versions of society. Mm -hmm. And it's a really, personally, I think it's almost ingenious that he does that because you're dealing with a character who is a wizard who also has to be a human. And he's dealing with the taboo and the vanilla. He's dealing with the ghosts and the corporal, it's just this really interesting dichotomy where Jim Butcher is always traversing the boundary between what is considered normal and abnormal. What is your favorite book in the series? Oh, that's an interesting question. So I did not like the first book. That's fair. Um, And even the author didn't like the first book. So I feel justified in saying that (laughs) I really, really liked changes well yeah changes is the, changes is the cliche answer though i yeah i mean changes is going to be the cliche answer it's got so much action it has so many powerful moments um but that wasn't my final answer i think changes is is up there um if i had to pick my favorite book i would probably and i'm struggling to remember which book was what well, give, yeah give me the plot or a little bit of the plot and i yeah. can find it on my cheat sheet <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. I think the one that I like the most is the one where it it might be skin game. It might be the one where um where he goes into the underworld. Yeah, that's the latest because book that out. is that's skin game. Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating concept it is a that you are going really to good book. Yeah. team up. Yeah, you're going to team up with a demon to go fight against another essentially god king. Um, to steal from him. I think that's fascinating. That might be in my top three. For, for um, context, everyone, Skin so, Game, the, the main plot is them trying to rob Hades, like the Greek Roman god Hades. 
Right. And it is a really, really um, zero to 100 ride. Yeah. And it's it one just, of it, it starts off with a bang and it doesn't stop till the and end. And if the detective novel concept uh, throws you, it's one of three heist books in the series. <laughs> like, based on, like, the whole book is kind of based around a heist. And there's three of them in yes. this Harpoil Detective Magic Users series. <laughs> right. Um, Whether they're trying to yeah, prevent and or I think, do a heist, there's three of those books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a common motif, and I like that motif. I think it's interesting. Um, so I think that Changes would be my top three. Skin Game would be my top three. And then um, which book is it where he actually has the duel with the red court vampire do you remember the duel, which one okay there is? Uh, he has a not the duel where he starts the that, that's not a, that's not a duel when he starts the war no the one the one with duke ortega oh crap yeah that is um that's one of the ones with uh the the encyclopedia the the, the little girl yes yeah so, okay that's either um that's either ten it's, small favor, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, it's got to be ten, because that's when she's introduced. That's when Ivy is introduced. Does it have the Gruff brothers in that book as well? When you're thinking of, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, you know what? Actually, oh shoot, no, I no. am actually looking. No, 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 no. Here's the deal. I'm I'm looking through these books. I'm not sure that one's my favorite. I think it might be I think it might be proving guilty when he first meets Molly. When Molly okay. Okay, yeah. That's a really good one too. And it's interesting because That one's just I super So there are there are me and Steven are just talking to each other and it's going way over your head right now, so I'm gonna talk to the listener for just a minute. <laughs> there are <laughs> Yeah, sorry everyone. Yeah. That was rough. <laughs> there are about there are like five major villains in the series as a whole. There are the Fae, which are everything from pixies to um, super powerful uh, fairy creatures like Santa Claus. Like it's the Fae concept. If you've read any recent fantasy, almost everybody has the concept mm, of the Fae. You can't say, you can't say Santa Claus because he doesn't count as the Fae. Yes, he is. He's a member of the Fae. He's also a Norse I, god. Is, is he? Okay, you're right. No, Santa I Claus is. I didn't count as the Fae, though. San- I thought since he was a Norse god, he was excluded. No, when that. he's Santa Claus, he's a member of the Fae because remember he led the he read, led the hunt as a – it makes that distinction later on is that – He led he led the hunt, but I thought that was just because the Earl King led. No, it, it even mentions him as a member of the Fae in the first or second book when he's talking to Toot Toot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'll I'll give it to you. But basically, the Fae is any um any fantastical creature that lives uh, outside of our world, primarily, or are um yeah, and, and that's the rules in the Dresden Files. So pixies, brownies, um, uh, ogres, those are all Fae. So those are one of the main bad guys every now and then. Obviously, vampires. Right, like you have to you have to cross a non physical boundary right, to, to, to get actually to where they interact live, with them. Kind of like kind of like Cinderella's fairy god. Exactly, she's a she's be a member of the fae. Yeah, and then you have vampires, of which there are multiple courts. There are white and red and black and different legions of white. So the black vampires, black court, are the ones you think of when you think of Dracula, and they have all those rules: killed mm-hmm. by a stake, you know, can't cross moving water, don't show up in mirrors, those. Red courts are um, 
kind of the modern vampires. Sunlight doesn't necessarily kill them. They do have to drink blood. They're more like demons inside human skin. And White Court... Right, and they, they still drink yeah, blood. Yeah, they still drink blood. Is kind of their, their thing. Right. White Court are your, um, your succubus uh, uh, kind of vampires. They feed off of emotion. And depending on what family mm-hmm. of the White Court, you either feed off of lust or fear or jealousy or hatred and it depends on your family kind of what you feed off of but the white court all feeds off of emotions then you have mm-hmm. the, yeah. the the denarians which you've kind of covered which are fallen angels and these are not vamp these are not yeah these are out these are to... the next category <laughs> denarians right. they are um and they have and it's it's interesting like we said that every character is fully formed and has their own motivations different members of the fae different members of the vampires even different members of the denarians of which there's only like 30 have very distinct motivations and intentions and can sometimes act like they're good or bad, but they're fallen demons right. that possess people through the coins that were given to Judas for betraying Christ. Right. Which is why there are 30 yeah. of them, 30 silver coins pr- given to Judas to, dep- to betray Jesus. And, and they're then. all possessed, but now by fallen angels. Um, right. And then there are the two that have been introduced in the later books, but um, are still, very main bil- villains for a couple stories. There are these eldritch horror creatures, um, I think, uh, that come outside from outside of this universe. Think anything from, um, oh my gosh, who am I thinking of? Uh, uh, Cthulhu type monsters. What are you going for? I can help you out. Where are you going for? The, Lovecraftian. Yeah, Lovecraftian. Lovecraftian eldritch yeah. horror monsters. These are bad guys in a few books, um, and they will probably be a main bad guy going forward. And then there's the Fomor, which were introduced in book 13 and have shown up in every book since, but we don't really understand what kind of threat they are. And these are a lot more – they're Earth-based, but a lot still um, still Lovecraftian horrors. They're ocean-based magical things. We don't really know much about them. But so there are five different like sects of main villains that are sprinkled throughout. <laughs> and there are one, two, three – Four, five, five books I have categorized that don't have any of these as the main antagonist for that story, even if they're still main villains. So there's also like human people who, or just other wizards that are the main problem for a story. Yeah. So I think maybe just really quickly so that everyone's able to easily sort it out in their head, we should just in a row list out the main villain group okay. so you have the fae you have the denarians you have the vampires you have the human gangsters mm-hmm. you have right the, and then the other wizards that are sometimes bad guys and then right. you have the eldritch horrors um and the fomor so those are your those are the things that are threatening the world but again it's never the main focus and then you have um just to better categorize this, you can actually buy the books now in groups of two or three that um, the author has categorized really? as uh, – I did not yeah, know it, that. It only goes up to nine so far. They haven't released anything from ten on in these categories. But like books one, okay. two, and three are Wizard for Hire is what they're called. And it, it makes uh-huh. sense because all three of those books begin with somebody coming and hiring him for a job. Right. And then book four that and five sense. are Wizard Under Fire, I believe, and it's because both those books start with him being attacked or him in a fight, and then he takes on a job 
based on somebody attacking him. And then it becomes Wizard at Large, where he just gets involved in things as he chooses. Um, and then I can't even remember what the last one is. But you can categorize them as it starts off, he is a contractor that is hired to do a job, and it stumbles on to becoming a bigger thing. And then it becomes he's a target. And then it becomes he's looking for a fight. And then it becomes he's just deeply involved in everything that's going on. And it, it you can just see how it slowly evolves into this very, very big story. Right. Right. So um, before we go into favorite characters, of which I couldn't decide between three of them, um, uh, let's talk Ooh. about our favorite... Um, I mean, I think that's fair. I listed four books yeah. before I said what my favorite was. Well, let's go with... This is something I didn't write down, but I thought of it as we've been talking. What's your favorite uh, not main story arc? It can go over a couple books. It can be just in one book, but just like your favorite side story arc. Okay. You might need to give me a second to think through that one. Okay. So if mine, you have one off the top of your head, go for it. Yeah. Mine is um, uh, and it, it's only a side story in some books, but it, it's every now and then it becomes a main story. But it's the Knights of the Cross. So mm -hmm. in, in book three, you, the book starts with him in grave peril. book starts with him and this guy you have not met yet, Michael, um, attacking Michael a ghost. Michael Carpenter. Yeah, Michael Carpenter, attacking a ghost in the children's ward of a hospital. And Michael has this shining sword, and he's dressed like a crusader. And that's kind of the only introduction you're given to him. And it's slowly revealed that there are three what's known as Knights of the Cross – and they are um, primarily there to stand up against the Denarians. They're, they each have a sword that is imbued with one of the nails from the True Cross, um, which if you know anything about uh, actual crusade history or just kind of medieval art in general, there's so many relics that are claiming to be the nails or the woods of the True Cross. Um, and this, in, in the Dresden Files universe... There are three – the three nails from the cross are actually put into swords, and they're given to faithful men who lead the fight against the Denarians. And they have all these rules that are applied to them. Basically, you can only use the swords in defense or in an attack against the Denarians. You can't use it for selfish purposes or it loses its power. And each sword has a specific um, function, like the sword of faith and the sword of hope. And what's the other one? I can't remember I the other one. It's probably love, sort of love, because faith, hope, and love. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so you only meet Michael in this book, and like four books later, you meet the other two, and then one of them, you know, gets too old and has to retire and give up the swords, and these swords get passed around throughout the books, and it's just this one side character, but it 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 makes you deal with. Um, it introduces the fact that the Judeo-Christian God is very real in this universe, in this world. And it makes Harry deal with faith and the fact that he doesn't necessarily uh, as ascribe to a denomination or a church, but he obviously believes God exists and he knows angels and demons and like the Lord's defenders. And so it just – it introduces faith in a, a book series that uh, most other fantasy series don't touch that, don't deal with the biblical ramifications or the religious ramifications of things. And he faces it head on in book three. And I just, I love that side story. 
You know, if I would have had to pick a side story first, I probably would have done the same one. I think the Carpenter side story is incredible. I love the entire Knights of the Cross story. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that um, Michael Carpenter's family features somewhat prominently in most of the stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoy the fact that you've got Dresden, who just isn't really a family man. <laughs> being best friends with a guy who is the quintessential family man. He's a Catholic. He's got like six kids. Incredible. Um, If I had to pick a second favorite storyline though, I would (laughs) probably, I mean, it's fair. It's a good storyline. The one I would pick if I had to go with another one though, would be the side story of Mortimer Lindquist. The, uh, not necromancer, but the guy who can communicate yes, with, okay. with ghosts. Yeah, and the reason I would go with him is because in the first couple of books he shows up in, he just doesn't do a whole lot. He's a weird character. He talks to dead people, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, he's and not then actually get to, magically powered, really. He can just see dead people, kind of. Yeah, and he uses it to scam people. Mm-hmm. Um, he essentially becomes... Um, what was that? The Long Island medium yes, yes. type person. He becomes that person. He he just scams people into believing that their dead relative is telling them that they love them and everything's okay. And then you get to book, oh, it's like book 10 or 11 out of 12. And you have almost an entire book centered around him and the dead people that he talks to. Yeah, And I love the fact that Dresden takes a minor character who has almost nothing to do with any of the books and fully fleshes him out in an entire 460-page novel. Yeah, and I feel like when they that brought him – That is such a cool idea. When they brought him back in that book, I had forgotten who he was because he hadn't been talked about in so many books. Yeah. And I had to go back and reread things because like obviously the characters in the story hadn't forgotten, but like – he he had been such a side nothing that as a reader you just you know wrote him off and you can't do that in any of these books you can't write anybody or anything off no. it will come back no they all they all make a comeback every time yeah it's beautiful i that's one of the the most entertaining things about this book is that it i don't know if jim butcher meant to do this but it almost feels like he did not write a single character without envisioning a story arc for them yes exactly and that is is so much fun to read because if you go back and read them from book one forward, you can almost think, Oh, this character is going to show up X books later. Mm -hmm. This character is going to do this. This character seems like they're a good person. Oh my God, they suck. And that is just such an interesting thing to watch and to see fully fleshed out. Yeah. Um, And there aren't a lot of authors that do that because a lot of authors will just create very quick characters to move the storyline forward and then they'll throw them away as soon as they've done their purpose. It's like it's built for rereading. Like it's like the whole series is built for you to go back and look at things again, which is crazy. And that's why I think it's okay that I started with book eight. That's true. Like you read them crazy out of order. So you had a different experience than me. I read the first one and I read the first maybe three books thinking, Oh, these are interesting. Like I can pick them up and read them in a couple hours and it's no big deal. But then by the time you sure. get to book five or six, you're like, wait a second. This this series has way more going on than I thought. Like this is way better fiction. Like this isn't cheap stuff. 
than I thought. And I love right. that that introduction to it where you just like it 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 was a surprise. You didn't realize this was gonna go on for fifteen books and everything was gonna matter. Right. It would be like if you're reading the Chronicles of Narnia and you meet um Mr. Tumnus in book two, I guess technically is the Chronicles of Narnia, and then you never address him again and then suddenly he shows up in book eight as Aslan's right hand man and you read an entire book about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of – it's like – I feel like Dresden wrote the first couple books – or not Dresden. Dresden's the character. I feel like Butcher probably wrote <laughs> the first couple there books as if um, these were dime store novels, easy writes, quick things. Right. And then right. he decided, you know what? No, I'm going to write these. I'm going to – and I don't think this is how he did it because they're too good and they're too well-connected for him to do this. But it's like he decided halfway through that, nope, I'm going to write dime store novels. I'm going to write them way complicated and way too good for like the source material kind of thing like it's i love all the characters i love everything in it in it but it's almost too good for itself you know like it's it feels like you're reading high literary fiction but you're reading you know noir detective novels with magic spells <laughs> and it's amazing well i i think there's there's an element to that but i don't know if it would necessarily qualify as "Quote unquote literature." True. I think it I mean, still falls very firmly in the camp of, um, you know, fantasy or urban fiction or just something that you're going to pick up and be able to read in a couple of days. It's not complicated. There aren't necessarily deep themes that you have to unpack for years. It's it's an easy read that deals with some of those darker or more human themes that allow you to kind of say, oh, wow, Dresden's dealing with this element of the human experience. But take it as a whole. It doesn't do it in a ham-fisted way. And so it's it's very easy reading. Taken as a whole, though, you could write massive works of of literature analysis over the series as a whole. And I think that's an interesting... 100%. And I think that, that it's almost one of those things where if... If Jim Butcher had been born 600 years earlier, um, you would almost be able to create an entire religion around the yeah, yeah. It's, the Dresden novels because but, it's just so fully fleshed out. There's so much lore. There's so much um, stuff to unpack that you can feel like everything he's talking about is real and just barely out of touch. Yeah, it's it's one of the um, it's one of the very good examples of the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts each individual book is interesting and a fun read and then you start looking at the whole series and you're just like this is beyond anything i could have would have expected picking up one of these books right especially from someone who started the book series when he was like 25 exactly okay so we've delayed it long enough who is your favorite non-harry dresden character oh my favorite non Dresden character. And if you take mine, I'm going to be very livid at you. Oh, all right. All right. Um, So mine is actually probably going to be his godmother. Okay. It's a weird one. Um, Interesting. But I I like his godmother because she is a complete wild card. In half the books, she is a villain. In half the books, she is a savior. And even though she kind of plays it off as she will only do things for Harry quid pro quo Mm -hmm. in a lot of the novels, she does things for him 
just because. Yes. And I think she's a very complex character who kind of gets left behind um, just because she is written to be very straightforward. But in reality, she's an incredibly complex character who does a lot of things for motivations that aren't immediately aren't apparent. apparent. Yeah. Her name is Lissandre, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, she, no, 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 no. It's it's Le- Leon and Cedra. Yeah, it, I always but, pronounce it in my head as Lissandre, but it looks like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She is, she is, she's introduced in the very first book, but you don't realize it till later on. She, uh, mm-hmm. she, and yeah, she has all of her, all of her actions track with her motivations. Once you finally start realizing what her motivations are. But it does feel like she's all over the map with you never know what you're gonna get from her. And even if you do 100%. even if you do understand her goals, you still don't necessarily know how she's gonna react because as the books will tell you again and again and again, she's Fay. And they're very hard to pin down. They're very they don't think like we do. And they don't therefore they don't act like we do. So it's very hard to predict her actions because things that would make sense to her just don't matter to us. And so it's really right. interesting. And they can't like outright lie, so they have to be very, very manipulative creatures. And it's it's re- I, she is really good when that's a good pick. So what's yours? Mine is Thomas Wraith, Dresden's half. Uh, I kind of wondered if you might pick him. Yeah, and he's been my favorite character forever before I even realized I was bi. Um, sure. He is a white. No, he's a compelling character. Yeah. I would have – if I had to pick my top three, I would pick – oh, God, I have to pick top four. I would pick Leon and Cide, which is his his God, fairy godmother. I would pick Molly. Mm-hmm. I would pick um, – oh, God, what is his – what's the main police officer's name? Like the other main character. Uh, yeah, yeah, his girlfriend sort of off and on. can't say that. Too much um, spoiler. Why can't I think of her name either? I can't. This is rough. <laughs> uh, Susan. No, no. Susan is his original girlfriend. Nope. Susan is the first one. Um, it's not that. Oh, oh my gosh. no. Why is what it? is wrong with us? Uh, Karen. Karen Murphy. Detective Murphy. Karen Murphy. Karen Murphy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, if I had to pick my top three, it would be Editing this Molly. episode is going to be awful. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I can't wait for you to do that. It would be – my top three would be Murphy – Karen Murphy, mm-hmm. Molly, um, Thomas mm-hmm. Wraith, and then the Leonids. Yeah. So I guess top four. Well, I'll go into why Thomas is awesome, but my top three that I have written yeah. down are Thomas, Toot Toot, which you've already mentioned, uh, Kincaid, sure. and Bob. Because Bob is just – Kincaid is cool. Kincaid and is so Bob cool. is – Okay, so Bob, I would, I would put him in my top three or four, except – as as interesting of a character as he is, he's kind of unidimensional. Yeah, because his um, characterization is he is a all knowing spirit who's obsessed with porn, yeah. and that's it. He doesn't <laughs> really deviate like this from lecherous that. little wind spirit thing stuck in a skull, and it's right. so funny. It's just a it's yeah, like, but he never he never deviates from yeah. that, and so I don't know if he would make my top. I just list. love I love Bob because he's like both comic relief and the smartest person in the room at all times. And yeah. that's just, it's a fun, it's a fun character to use a lot. 
But no, Thomas. He really is. And it's interesting that his personality switches depending on right. who depending is on who's controlling his him. That's, ward or whatever. that's a really neat thing for Butcher to throw in there. Yeah. So Thomas Wraith is um, – you don't know this, so it's a spoiler until later on, but he is Dresden's half-brother. And he is a white court vampire, which means he feeds off of – and he's a member of the family, the Wraith family that feeds off of lust um, or love if you're you know kind of a good person. But so – you meet him in the book that's probably one of the hardest to read the first time through, uh, where it is the entire st- series or story takes place basically on a porn studio um, because it's run by the White Court vampires and all that stuff. And he's um, – no, actually, you meet him earlier than that, don't you? You meet him just as a vampire in the middle you of – You meet him as a vampire yeah. when he – when Dresden is attending a party that yeah. Bianca is throwing. Yes, and you know he's shady and you're scared of him and he shows up like I think one other time and then you actually meet him, meet him in the porn book, Blood Rites, where you find out his identity but Dresden doesn't actually believe it for like four more books. Um, and I just love him because every time he shows up, he's a powerhouse, A. He's – always super strong and whether he's against or for Dresden later on he's solidly on Dresden's side but in the first early series he's got his own motivations his um character arc from out for himself but specifically out for his love interest to um this very reliable ally and uh independent actor like in my favorite book uh Dresden once again thinks he's a bad guy. He thinks he's killing people, and it's revealed that no, he's uh, again spoiler, no, he's setting up a uh, safe house for people, kind of in Harry's name, and he is just all over the place, always hilarious, always super strong, and when he needs to, is like super powerful without having any like actual skills other than being super strong and fast as a vampire. And um, I was probably gravitated to him reading the books because as a white court vampire, he's also bisexual because he doesn't distinguish <laughs> like that. Uh, right. That he was, doesn't distinguish straight lust from gay lust. Yeah. It's, it's all – he feeds off of lust no matter how it is. And he, he – his love interest uh, for this series is a woman, but he can feed off of anybody um, and does several times throughout the early books but um, kind of ends up settling down. But there's the – at one point um, early on, he takes a job as a hairdresser so he can like, like – he, he can uh, feed off of people as they're gossiping to him about their love lives while he's cutting their hair. And it's just like insanely clever way to use like gay stereotypes, which he's very straight presenting most of the time. But he uses like gay stereotypes so that he doesn't have to ever kill anyone and it's just kind of a – comic hilarious thing that he's a little embarrassed by that is just super random and very clever that i laughed out loud when i read that section of the book when that's revealed and uh then like i think like two chapters later he's like ripping people in half and like fighting badly but then he goes back to the barbershop and chats with people with a lisp while he's cutting their hair (laughs) it's just so funny to me and that's one of the reasons why i think Thomas is a good choice. I think you did a good job picking him because he is a white court vampire who exclusively feeds off of lust, but he spends 90% of the books he appears in 
trying to control that impulse and essentially be a vegan vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he's always trying to figure out new ways to satiate his desires without actually taking without from harming people's anyone. life force or, yeah. or being a bad person. He, he talks about controlling the monster inside of him. And I think that is a really interesting idea um, that almost borders on the ideas of monasticism in our real world. And it is a really interesting thing when Dresden or not Dresden butcher decides to describe yeah. it because there's this one really poignant scene that I remember from the books where um, Harry Dresden asks his brother, what's it like to constantly mm -hmm. be denying yourself? And um, Thomas just kind of looks at him and, brushes it off and then they go for a race where they race back to the car and they run almost a mile at full-on dead sprint they get there and dresden is exhausted so he grabs a water bottle and just starts like drinking as fast as he can and then after like two gulps thomas just bats the water away and dresden's like what the hell i'm still thirsty as shit and thomas says yeah that's what it feels like for me all the time. Yeah. And it's just this powerful moment where you're like, holy cow, denying yourself that much sucks. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a really interesting way for it to kind of humanize the fact that Thomas is really trying to be a good person. And that's one of the moments where it, it points out or because all of these are from Dresden's point of view, you get to hear his thoughts and stuff. Um, that's one of the moments where it points out that. Dresden thinks of himself as so much weaker and so much less powerful than everybody around him because of stuff like that. Because he yeah. admits in that moment that he could never do that. He would never be yes. able to stand up to that kind of pressure. And yet you as a reader know he stood up to bigger pressure than that when he's offered unlimited power by a demon or a fey queen. And it's like, okay, you yeah. are yeah it's 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 very i think his relationship dresden and thomas's relationship is um probably another reason that he's one of my favorite side characters is because they are estranged brothers that will look out for each other no matter what but have very 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 different lives and yet still can interact like brothers and it's it's just really good really well done yeah and it's it's just really well written in a way that just humanizes the entire thing. And it, that is an interesting thing to be able to do when you're talking about ghosts, vampires, wizards, etc. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, do you have any um, specific questions uh, or things we have missed somehow? We've been talking for about an hour. Yeah, we, we've been doing a lot of talking about a lot of stuff. Um, I am almost terrified to know how disjointed this conversation oh, it's, has been. it's all over the map. Let's uh, try to like be coherent for the last 20 or so minutes and be like sure. uh, I don't know, just a firm reason that you need to read these books with with no fear of spoilers, we kind of did it at the beginning sure. with spoilers. Let's without or without spoiling, but let's go with spoilers. Ugh, okay, so I'll tight. just I'll <laughs> yeah I'll jump right into that. So, um, if you're on the fence about reading these books, I know we've completely spoiled them, um, but we also have not spoiled them. We've kind of brushed over a lot of the major characters, but I don't know that we've really um, 
spoiled any of the major plot lines. And one of the main reasons to read this book is because there are so many different villains that you constantly have a reason to continue reading the series. Even if you think that Harry Dresden has defeated a villain, he probably has not completely defeated them. They will probably make an appearance again in a more interesting way. Every single book builds on past books and every single villain is able to learn from their mistakes and become a better villain because of it. And I think that's one of the defining hallmarks of this entire series. You have Harry Dresden, who is this incredibly dynamic um, hero. And then you have incredibly dynamic anti-heroes as well. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to watch all of these different characters interact with each other in ways that are constantly improving on a theme and making it a more interesting battle each and every time. And that's probably the beginning, middle, and end of my elevator pitch. Yeah. I just think that the character interactions are phenomenal in yeah. this entire series. I would say if you're if you're on the fence, if you can't decide uh, for whatever reason because we're disjointed and not coherent at all, um, <laughs> uh, imagine a book series or imagine any piece of media you've ever read where you thought you wanted to know more about a character that wasn't well fleshed out. This is a book series that does that for every single character. Nobody is there by accident. Not a single person is extraneous. Every single person could have their entire uh, a book series about them. And you know that going in. You, you feel that with every page. This is a fully realized world that we're getting a glimpse of every time he puts out a book. And as a – I don't know if this is a selling point for – or against there are 15 of these books and there's at least three more i think four more is the plan so it's an ongoing series that you have so much reading and all of it's amazing even though steven says he doesn't like the first book and the author doesn't like the first book it informs so much and it by itself is at least an interesting concept for a story um even if it's not the best book in the series it's an interesting concept and every other book is hands down amazing. So there, there's very yeah. little reason not to read this. That said, I not to interject, but also to interject, I think you should definitely read... Um, if you're going to read this series, you should not start with the first book. You can read the first book, and I think it's important, but you shouldn't start with the first book, in my opinion. I mean, maybe... I mean, even if you just skip the first book and start with the second, the second, um, that was a really close... One of my favorite characters is the um, the second book is called Full Moon and it deals with werewolves. Go figure. Um, and mm, a couple of the werewolf fair. characters are some of my favorite oh. recurring characters later on. And uh, that one gives you a really good picture of that book. Kind of captures Dresden's mentality throughout the whole series of I'm win way over my head, and that's how he thinks for most of the books. And even if it's not, it doesn't really, not a lot of things that happen in that book impact the overall plot. So it's a good jumping in point. Um, and then go back and read the first one after a while, after you love the characters. Right, right. And I think that's fair. It's a fair way to look at it. Yeah, because Grave Peril is the first book that starts having, it's book three, and it's the first book that starts having impact forever down the storyline. The first two don't really do that. Sure. 
All right. Well, any final thoughts? And we have, again, we have barely scratched the surface of these books. We couldn't remember Murphy's name there at the end, and she's basically a co-main character with Dresden throughout the whole series. So obviously we have just barely scratched the surface of these. There's so, it's very, very deep storytelling or very deep lore that you will enjoy. Well, and I think part of the reason why we brushed over her name and completely forgot it isn't necessarily because it's complicated or there's so much or anything like that. I think it's just that there is, there are so many interesting things to cover that sometimes it's difficult to remember everything. Yeah. We're trying um, to find the like the, little specks of things and we're ignoring the giant trees in front of us because Murphy's such an obvious choice for everything. Right. Like when you're reading, when you're reading a, a 12 book series, you are going to struggle to hit on every major point. Um, but I think the fact that the book series has been able to make it to 12 books without being 15. discontinued or being dropped by the publisher is a testament to the fact that it is completely worth reading. Yeah. Um, even if you are just a casual reader of fantasy, I think it's, it's worth a look. And it launched a TV show and like card games and they've republished a lot of the books as graphic novels. Like it's a big deal. Right. And if you saw the TV well, the show... T- the TV series ugh. was pretty short-lived. Somehow they tried to f- shove the entire first book into a single episode, which was just... But why? Oh, you mean like the Avatar movie. Exactly. It. it was just inexplicable, some of the choices they made. Um, I'm pretty sure they combined Susan and uh, uh, the cop in like a single character for a bit. Like, they confused the two of them in the first episode of the right. show, and I was just like, wait, what? Susan and Murphy are very different on purpose. What's going on? Very, very different. Like, yeah. they're not even in the same career or personality type Yeah, but or they, ending story arc. They gave, like, they gave Murphy lines to Susan and, like, confused the characters a bit in the first episode. It was just very dumb. Aye, aye, aye. Very dumb. I'm sure. Don't watch yeah. the show is what I'm saying. Good actors in the show. This could be a very good TV show, but again, it would need to be about 20 seasons long to get all the stuff that goes on. And they tried to cram an entire book into a single episode. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, I think we've we've pretty much covered everything I want to cover. I don't know if there's anything you want to want to touch on, but uh, I don't think this so. is obviously I mean, very. This is a very different episode. It's yeah. not so much a hey, would you read this book? Because we both read it mm-hmm. um i think i could and i know when talk about these books for forever though so we we should find us oh, i mean <laughs> this is definitely our longest episode of the the series so far and you originally recommended these books to me i tried it i hated it it took me five years to pick them up again um and then when i did i read them all within four months mm-hmm. so i think that it just kind of depends on where you start in the series I think some people would be totally fine starting with book one. I think other people will probably need to skip to book three or four um, to stick with it. But who, whatever type of person you are, I think you should at least try two books. Yeah, you should. You Don't should try give them one. A try two. Try two. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we'll close it out. Let's close it out with a preview of our next special episode, um, which is kind of the inverse of this one. It is a book series you told me about in college that I refused to read till way later. And it's the reason this podcast was started. We are going to do on episode 25, I think we decided. 
Is that right? You decided. I just went along with it because I'm a passive bitch. Fair. I think on episode 25, we are going to do uh, the King Killer Chronicles. So A Name of the Wind and A Wise Man's Fear. Um, and the soon to be released, hopefully, Doors of Stone. Uh, so that is the book series that is the reason I decided we should do this podcast. Do you want to say who they're by? Um, they're by Patrick Rothfuss. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so we will be doing a deep dive in that one. And that one, there's only three. There's only two books, but I have a feeling it's going to go a lot longer than even this episode did. Uh, we might split it in two if it goes long enough because I want to dive very deep into this because it's the only book series where I have active theories about where things are going to go and spend time developing those. So that's coming up in probably about a month, maybe a little bit longer than that because 10 episodes from now. But uh, yeah, that's our next special episode. So tune in for that. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you then. Yeah, or hopefully in the nine ensuing episodes <laughs> before that. Yeah, hopefully. Either way is fine with us. Remember to like, Do share, subscribe, um, leave a comment on this, and get out there read. All right, give us a closing statement, Stephen. Cats are just as good as dogs. Some would say better. <laughs> Do you know why I say <laughs> that? Because Harry Dresden has both. Yes, he, he has does. Mister, and he has a temple dog. And he loves both of them equally. No, Mouse is and a... And I know that you, Joel, hate cats, but Harry Dresden does not. Mouse is That's a million times statement. better than that stupid cat. Uh, he left No, Mouse. Mr. is so great because he's always just there. And he was the OG pet before True, Mouse came but in Mouse showed up show. and freaking owned everything and was actually impactful to the story. All Mr. ever did was get lost and stuck outside and crap. I like, I like the cat. Mm-hmm. You would. He's fat. He's a fat cat. He is a fat cat. Which I think is really um, – it fits when you're talking about dime store noir novels. Like you need That's someone true. who's a fat cat. Yeah. My dog so. this morning, an ambulance drove past our house at like mm, 6.37 in the morning and it was out of earshot you know, real quickly. He waited a full minute, I'm assuming, until it was out of his earshot. It then started howling in tune with the ambulance for a good two minutes. I was just like, why? Stop. Sure. Yeah. That's what I woke up to mm. this morning. <laughs> All right. That was completely irrelevant information. Uh, thank you for listening. Bye. If you listened, I hope that your day goes even worse from here on out. Oh, my God. Why did you say that? These come out on a Friday morning. I hope you have a great no. Friday and a great weekend. And I love you, listener. I hope you listen to this on a Saturday and it's too late for it to be a great Friday. I love you specifically, listener, who's listening to this on a Friday. I hope you die sad and alone with no one around you oh in a God. nursing home. I'm stopping this recording before Stephen curses you. Bye, guys. <laughs>